Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangam Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Sangam Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Sangam Saranang Gachami Anati Pata Veramini Sika Parang Samadhyami Adinadana Veramini Sika Parang Samadhyami Abrahmacharya Veramini Sika Parang Samadhyami Musawada Veramini Sika Parang Samadhyami Sura Maria Majapamadatana Veramini Sika Parang Samadhyami Vikala Bhojana Veramini Sika Parang Samadhyami Nacha Gita Vadita Visukadasana Malaganda Vilepana Dharana Mandana Vibhusanatana Veramini Sika Parang Samadhyami Ucha Sayana Maha Sayana Veramini Sika Parang Samadhyami Idam Me Silam Magapalanyanasa Pachayo Hotu So tonight I wanted to begin an exploration of the five aggregates. And this is going to kind of be two-part. One part being tonight my speaking, um, giving some information, context. And then tomorrow morning at the 8.15 sitting, it will be a guided meditation. Because one of the things that I've really found about this topic is that Well, when I first heard about the five aggregates, no interest, sorry. (laughs) It seemed really dry. You know, it was that part of the Buddha's description on dukkha, where he he names all of the different ways that we experience dukkha or suffering. And the last bit is, in short, the five aggregates of clinging. And that just fell off my radar screen, um, was of no interest. And then, when... I did some exploration, and it was you know, largely from looking at the suttas and the way in which the Buddha presented this material, and then really using it as a contemplation. I was just amazed at the power of it. And it really took me right into the meat of practice, you know, where this I, me, mine gets created 
and just was revealing it and helping me to uh, see and hold experience in a different way and to really have a wise relationship with all of these different aspects of experience. And so it's actually said to be a very powerful contemplation, one that we can do not only till we're fully liberated, but that arahants apparently also continue to use this contemplation. So I think it's a very important aspect of the teachings. And last week I spoke about impermanence, and then Annie spoke about dukkha, or suffering, a few nights ago. And this is a way, too, of bringing in the aspect of anatta, the impersonal, insubstantial nature of experience. And what was helpful for me is that it was looking to experience rather than having some philosophical idea about. It was actually looking in my own experience and really getting in touch with the play of conditions that are coming together and just the the simplicity. I mean, it really, much of what I will say tonight, you have already heard in different ways, but it's... um. I don't know, for me, combined with the contemplation that the Buddha offers around it is very, very powerful. Mm. Before I go into the aggregates themselves... I just want to give a couple of ways that the Buddha spoke uh, directly about them. Just, you know, he brought in impermanence and uncontrollability. And I'd just like to bring in a couple of suttas. And I know one's already been said, but in the context of uh, what I'm going to be talking about, I think it's very important and really helpful because the Buddha highlighted the fact that, you know, as we have said, all experience is impermanent. And it's out of that that there he brings in the aspect of it's not fit to be regarded. So just going back to an actual sutta where the Buddha was speaking, and he said, what do you think are material form, feelings, perceptions, formations, and consciousness, permanent or impermanent? Monks responded, impermanent, venerable sir, is what is impermanent, suffering, or happiness. Suffering, venerable sir, is what is impermanent, suffering, and subject to change, fit to be regarded thus. This is mine, this I am, this is myself. No, venerable sir. Therefore, bhikkhus, or practitioners, Any kind of material form, feelings, perceptions, formations, or consciousness, whether past, future, or present, internal, external, gross, or subtle, inferior, or superior, far, or near, should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom thus. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. So all of these experiences, and I had neglected to say what the five aggregates are, but there you had it. (laughs) Um, Material form, feeling tone, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness. All of these together are what we so often identify with in our own experience as being self. And as we pay attention, as we have been in our practice, there is the seeing of this truth of impermanence. And this truth of impermanence means that there's no lasting happiness to be found in these experiences. The other aspect that the Buddha pointed to in these aggregates as being um, impersonal, insubstantial, uh, 
was is was that they are uncontrollable, ungovernable, or not amenable to our will. And I'd also like to share uh, a story from the suttas. It's quite a wonderful story where there was a wanderer named Sakaka who had heard from one of the first of the five disciples of the Buddha that the Buddha was teaching that form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness were all impermanent and not self. And upon hearing this, he decided to go to visit the Buddha and set him straight, as he believed there was a self. It is said that he had not yet made a study of the Buddha's teachings and had no practical knowledge of the Dhamma, and yet he had a poor opinion of it, and he felt that he himself was very much above it. He organized for others to attend the debate, where he boasted that he would whirl the Blessed One around in the matter of doctrines, just like a powerful man catching hold of a kid by his fleece would whirl it around and around. In his encounter with the Buddha, the Buddha first got Sakaka to admit that he believed that material form, feeling, perception, volitional formations, and consciousness were self. And then he backed him into a corner. And he said, you said, form is myself. Could you exercise control over that self? Saying, let the self of mine be thus. Let the self be not thus. And at first, Sakaka would not answer. And that it was only when the Buddha asked him for the third time and the Buddha warned him that he better answer the question because apparently if a Buddha asks you a question three times and you fail to answer, your head will split into seven pieces. (laughs) And it's also said that there was a celestial org that was visible to only the Buddha and Sakaka and that was armed with a thunderbolt ready to split open Sakaka's head. So he answered, there was no control. There was no control over material form, feelings, perceptions, volitional formations, and consciousness. I think he was probably humbled. (laughs) And then he asked whether these forms were impermanent or permanent. And if they were permanent, is it suffering? And then what is impermanent? Suffering and subject to change again. Is it fit to be regarded? This is mine, this I am, this is myself. No, Lord. And then the Buddha went on to tell him how to undertake a meditation practice to become an arahant. And that how, after realization, all of the physical and mental aggregates are not mine, not I, and not myself. So we can't decide to have our bodies be a certain way. You know, it just doesn't work. We know that. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's not amenable to our will. You know, and the Buddha is saying, you know, if it was self, couldn't you do something better than this? <laughs> I mean, that's obviously not his words. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> so as we look at each of the aggregates, and this will, I'll go be bringing in again tomorrow when we're really looking in a direct experience in the moment. It's really looking at all of these aggregates and seeing how they are impermanent, how we can't bend them, make them the way we want things to be, and as such are not fit to be regarded as I, me, or mine. So the first of the five aggregates that of material form, physical form. You know, I mentioned last week in speaking about impermanence that often there's just such a strong sense of self around this body, uh, identification with it. And the exploration that we can really do in being aware of this body moment by moment is to explore it on the level of the elements. It's made up of earth, air, fire, and water, as is all physical form. 
you know, a combination of these elements, a weaving of these elements. And the experience that of our body can change according to what elements are more predominant in any one moment. Gil Fronsdale, a teacher from Spirit Rock, once referred to this body as being made up of recycled materials. You know, it's resu- it's these, just this play, this changing elements. You know, our breath inside can be moisture outside in a moment. You know, it's, it's all changing, interplaying. So we look in our experience to how we feel the earth element. And the earth element provides support for coexisting phenomena. It gives that level or sense of support. And we experience the earth element through sensations of hardness, softness, solidity. And, you know, it's not like we think of the earth, the ground, but we can touch water, and sometimes water will feel very soft. And that softness is the earth element. When we feel pressure, hardness, this earth element. We experience the water element. The water element gives cohesiveness. In um, bread dough, you know, it's the water that holds it all together. And this is what water does. It gives that cohesion. You know, we experience water element if we experience like a stickiness on the floor or a feeling of wetness in the corner of our eye. And sometimes that wetness may actually be there, and sometimes it's just the feeling of wetness. Or heaviness is a form of the water element because it's bringing that cohesion of something being held together. This is another experience of water element. The air element you know, the air element's characteristics are extension, expansion. You know, the air element is what allows us to walk or to sit. Um, it brings, you know, we experience it through vibrations, through motion. It causes movement. The fire element is not just hot, but it's also cold. Is another aspect of the fire element. This fire element helps things to mature, to break down. Um, We sometimes find in our practice these sensations become so predominant, so strong, you know, that just in a moment the body may feel on fire, or in another moment it may be very cold. And that our body is just made up of, of a play of these movements. And yet, in any single movement in walking, it's possible that we can experience all of the elements. You know, where if um, you're feeling the foot on the floor, there's a hardness. Lifting the foot, there's the air element, movement, vibration. Um, you know, sometimes when we place the foot down, there's a coolness. This is a fire element. Um, the water element, you know, like there's a feeling of heaviness. Looking on it uh, on the level of elements, you know, it's similar to nature. So we so often get caught up in trying to control these elements, and yet the body does its thing. It just, you know, will respond to different conditions. And, you know, it's similar, like if there's a hurricane, we can't control that. And many elements of the, of the body in the same way, are uncontrollable. They're just these shifting elements. B, B, I'm reading the shorthand in my notes. The Buddha, like... The Buddha likened this material element to being like a ball of foam, very insubstantial. And we look at these elements, you know, they're changing so quickly, interrelated. So as we pay attention to 
these physical phenomena, realizing this is not mine. This is not I. This is not myself. That's a contemplation. Seeing it from this perspective rather than the pain of it belonging to me, my body, trying to control, not accepting the impermanence. The second aggregate, that of feeling tone. This is again the pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant feeling tone, which again has also been spoken about. Um, Just, you know, a few refreshers on this, that it's a common experience that we strongly identify with these feeling tones and act, live our lives in relationship to them. That we move away from unpleasant experience, we move towards pleasant experience, you know, and somebody asks us how we are today, and if there is a predominance of pleasant experience, we could be doing quite well. There's a lot of unpleasant experience, oh, not so good today. If there's a lot of neutral experience, oh, so-so. You know, that we commonly define ourselves according to this feeling tone. And this feeling tone, like everything else, is conditioned. You know, uh, it's the feeling tone of experience is a resultant karma, that how we experience something in one moment can be conditioned by how it was related to in past experience. And it's, so there's not an inherent feeling tone. And that we, you know, one person can experience something as pleasant, another person may experience it as unpleasant. And what can be pleasant in one moment can be very unpleasant in another moment. You know, if we're eating a bar of chocolate, the first bite is pleasant. If it's a huge one-pound bar, by the time we get to the last bite, it's probably unpleasant. You know, so <laughs> things change. And um, it's a very powerful aspect of experience to pay attention to. And we just begin to notice how quickly this changes. And, you know, if there's an, any identification, you can have the experience as if you're uh, have, touching into heaven and hell in, in just moment to moment as pleasant and unpleasant changes. And then you begin to notice, and it's come up, how difficult it can be to pay attention when the experience is more neutral. And when we don't pay attention, ignorance comes in. You know, this false sense of self comes in. The Buddha likened feeling tone to being like that of water bubbles. Water bubbles, they burst, insubstantial, impermanent. These two, we can reflect on how this is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. The third aggregate being that of perception and perception being the faculty in the mind that can recognize, name, label, categorize things. You know, it's this expediated filing system that we have in the mind. It's quite phenomenal in its capacity. I mean, it works so quickly. You know, just when, you know, looking at the front of the hall, there's forms that become man, woman, that become specific beings that... um, there's all kinds of information that is received very, very quickly. And it's like the mind just goes through and cobbles together this information to organize things into perception. And it's definitely a useful quality in our lives, but the identification with can create a lot of suffering. Um, When we pigeonhole, solidify, uh, don't allow for the truth of impermanence. And we can experience the, the ungovernability or the oppressive nature of perception because, you know, that we, we get all kinds of perception. 
You know, you're sitting here and really quiet, and then some memory from the past comes up. And, you know, it's just a perception in the mind, and it can have such a strong impact. Or, you know, you're eating a bowl of luscious strawberries, and suddenly there's a perception of a corpse. And, you know, the whole interest in eating the strawberries disappears. They have strong impact. Perceptions at times can be very fearful. Looking at them again from, this is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. The next aggregate being that of volitional formations, the conditioning agent in the mind. That which conditions acts of body, speech, and mind. That we have that which brings about physical, vocal, or mental activities, activities of body, speech, and mind. And our mind states also condition. You know, that when anger is present, it conditions acts of body, speech, and mind. Loving kindness conditions. Compassion conditions, wisdom, that this, the, the, there's these formations that come together and condition our experience. And these are karmic seeds, tiny sparks that can be either wholesome or unwholesome. These formations are like weather coming together, you know, the atmosphere conditions. We can see how they too are impermanent, that they're not lasting, that they're continually changing, that they're not amenable to our will. We can't decide to be mindful all the time. We can't decide to have a mind that is only filled with loving-kindness The Buddha likened these volitional formations to being like the heartwood of a Bodhi tree, which is empty, void, without substance. These two being seen as, this is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. The last of the five aggregates being that of consciousness, We have already, of course, spoken of. I was actually glad to go through the five aggregates tonight and see that we're doing our job, (laughs) that we are speaking of all of these aspects of experience. This aspect of consciousness, the knowing, you know, and it is subject of so much debate um, and is so mysterious, so awesome. Actually, just today I was reading about how in the last decade that scientists were doing a great exploration of the brain, dedicated a lot of financial resources to it, and someone was just making a motion to get $4 billion to put into exploration of a decade of the mind rather than the brain, just looking into consciousness itself and the mystery, trying to really crack this one. Who knows? But it is one of the great wonders, just that we can sit here and know experience. And we don't do anything to know. It just happens. But it does happen, and this is where, you know, to me it gets interesting. In a moment of hearing, there's something making the sound. There's the ear door. And there's the consciousness. And the consciousness acts as a spark, a place of ignition between these two aspects of, of experience. And so in a moment of hearing, we have hearing consciousness. In a moment of seeing, 
we have seeing consciousness. You know, there's a sight, there's the eye door, and then consciousness. It sparks. And, you know, as we sit here, there's a moment of knowing, of hearing consciousness, a moment of knowing, of seeing consciousness, a moment of knowing, of touching consciousness, and it's all rapidly arising and passing away again. When we don't pay attention, we just think that this knowing is always there. But when there's careful attention, there's actually seeing of this dependent relationship. We also, through exploration, see that we can't control it, We can't just decide to be conscious of only certain aspects of experience, hard as we may try at times. This isn't the way things are, that it's not amenable to our will. One of the ways that the Buddha likened consciousness was to being like a monkey going through a forest and you're just catching one bough of a tree and then another and another and another. And this is what consciousness is doing by day and by night. He also likened consciousness to a magician's display of magic tricks. You know, it creates this illusion of things when we don't bring wise attention. Consciousness, too, being able to be contemplated as this is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. Sometimes we can get too, I think, intellectual around the looking into the five aggregates and trying to define where one finishes and the next one begins. And that won't be so helpful. But just to know that they are, you know, the very substance of our experience. They're what we can look directly and immediately into. And, you know, together, when we're not looking, here I am, this is me, I am this. When we look into what's being identified with in any moment, we can see it's some one of these aggregates or some combination of these aggregates. And so it's really a very immediate way of, you know, for me, it felt like picking apart this sense of I, you know, pulling up the stitches of what seems so solid and concrete. The clinging to these aggregates, and it's, you know, not the aggregates themselves, it's the clinging to that is painful, that is suffering, that is dukkha, the identification with as being I, me, or mine. There's two ways that the clinging happens, which is through appropriation or possessing or identification. The appropriation, the possessing. This is mine. It belongs to me. And, you know, looking in the day to see what is mine, my body, my breath, what belongs to me. Sometimes it's, you can just hear it in the tone of mine. My, you see that you see self asserting itself. You know, some my walking space, my cushion. This is mine. My interview time. <laughs> you know, see what belongs, what you possess. Look, look for that voice. It's really fertile grounds for greed, hatred, and delusion. This is from Ajahn Buddhadasa. It is usually proclaimed eloquently that birth, aging, and death are suffering. But birth is not suffering, aging is not suffering, death is not suffering, where there is not attachment to my birth, my aging, and my death. At the moment we are grasping, 
aging, pain, and death as ours. If we don't grasp, they are not suffering. They are only bodily changes. The second way of clinging is that of identification or taking as a basis for conceit or view about oneself. I am feeling happy. I am depressed. I am superior. I am inferior. Venerable Analayo, um, he's a Western monk who has I think we may have mentioned before, but he has a very good description of how the five aggregates play into this. He says, these five aggregates are experienced as embodiments of the notion, I am. From the unawakened point of view, the material body is where I am. Feelings are how I am. Perceptions are what I am. Volitions are why I am, and consciousness is whereby I am. In this way, each aggregate offers its own contribution to enacting the reassuring illusion that I am. So, material body, where I am, feelings, how I am, perceptions, what I am, volitions, why I am, and consciousness, whereby I am. That's a Interesting way of looking at this notion that I am. I think it's really helpful to know that this conceit of I am is around until complete enlightenment. And that through that, how we practice is to recognize when it's present and how it comes into being. This is a poem when I wrote, it was at the end of a retreat. So it's not that I sit on retreat and write poems. (laughs) But there had been exploration of this sense of self. And it's called Taking Life Lightly. Letting go of me and the story that I weave, who'd ever thought how fun it could be? For all of the places I've clutched and defended, for all of the tears I've cried from grief, sorrow, loss, or the suffering of me. My fingers grew tired, they had clutched so hard, and now dared to relax and to loosen their grip. Moments of peace, tranquility, and joy, a lightness of heart in this empty, cognizant, ever-changing space. And then, there I'd be again, the one that wants and needs. I'd shrink and recoil at the very sight of me. Each time that I'd come, at some point I'd pass, letting go again, of the suffering of me. Now I keep arising, but there's a giggle inside for jumping at opportunities of a birthplace for me. Each time that they pop, it's no more poor me, but laughter and humor as the mind becomes free. Letting go of this me, or just allowing life to be, who'd ever thought that it be, without ever thinking that it belongs to me. I'd like to take a brief look at the contemplation, this line that I keep referring to. This is not mine, this I am not, and this is not myself. Just to look at the three lines. Um, Bhikkhu Bodhi, in his commentary, describes each of these as being antidotes to aspects of self. This first line, this is not mine, is an antidote to the appropriation of self, where there's this sense of ownership. Through this line, 
this is not mine. It counters the, this is mine. Helpful when we're responding to experience as belonging to us. You know, that in our lives we, we so move into protection of what is mine. It's a, you know, a common experience. Protect, defend, per, make perfect, and at times just remembering this is not mine. The second line, this I am not, is an antidote to the conceit of I am this, I am that. This conceit of I am, this perception that I am. Seeing it in this way, this I am not. The third line, this is not myself, relates to the identity views, the view of there being a separate entity. Seeing it as thus, this is not myself. In the English language, the word self is used often like a noun. And when we look in our experience, it's more of a verb. It's always changing. And this is what we see through looking into these five aggregates, that they're coming together due to certain conditions, certain formations, things change, experience changes, and that within that, there's no solid, separate, unchanging self to whom it all refers to. We see that this sense of I is really like a river that's continually flowing and not the same in any two moments. We find that this whole construct of I, me, mine, belonging to me, starts to break down. Life becomes fluid with this strong sense of self no longer being the view through which we're looking. And the landscape opens up. There comes a lightness of being that is uncontained, not defined by who we think we are. I'd like to close tonight with a teaching from Ajahn Buddhadasa. He says, To understand the Dhamma sufficiently is the first step, but understanding it is not the end. We now see that as the mind begins to let go, to loosen up its attachments, these attachments dissolve away. We experience this until the point where attachment is extinguished. Once attachment is quenched, the final step is to experience that the mind is free, everything is free. The Pali text used the phrase, throwing back. The Buddha said that at the end, we throw everything back. This means that we have been thieves all of our lives by appropriating the things of nature as I and mind. We have been stupid and have suffered for it. Now we have become wise and are able to give things up. At this last step of practice, we realize, oh, it isn't mine. It belongs to nature. We throw everything back to nature and never again steal at anything. To learn the secret of Dhamma is to know that we should be attached to nothing whatsoever. 
and then never again to become attached to anything. All is liberated. The case is closed. We are finished. So let's just sit for a moment. This body, one of the five aggregates, knowing it directly and immediately, through its hardness, softness, coolness, warmth, pressure, vibrations, all impermanent, changing, not amenable to our will. feeling tone of experience. Sometimes pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Is this who you really are? Is it subject to change? Uncontrollable. Perception. Perceptions of sounds being heard. Perceptions of the body. Perceptions of memories, thoughts. Are they stable? Can you control? Are they who you really are? Volitional formations, the conditioning agent. Maybe anger, desire, compassion. They too, impermanent, subject to change.
consciousness. A moment of hearing consciousness, touching consciousness, smelling consciousness. The knowing moment by moment. All of these aggregates arising and passing. All impermanent. Ungovernable. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.